everyone. So this is chapter two, um, the chemistry of life. And this one is where it starts to get a little bit more difficult, especially if you haven't had a chemistry background before. Um, but I will also be um, like trying to break it down the best that I can. Okay, so um, at the beginning of this chapter, it's going to start out with the term biochemistry. A whole field of science, biochemistry, is devoted to the studying of the chemical aspects of life. To truly understand the human body, it is important to understand a few basic facts about biochemistry, the chemistry of life. Um, the best place to begin is the building blocks of matter. So our first under um, paragraph is going to be levels of chemical organization. So we're going to start small. Matter is anything that occupies space and has mass. Biochemistry or chemists classify matter into several levels of organization for easier study, and the smallest unit of matter is the atom. Atoms are used to build more complicated substances in the body, and most are in the form of molecules. Molecules are particles of matter that are composed of one or more atoms, and atoms are considered to be the basic unit of matter. Um, okay, so let's see if we can break this down. Matter is anything that occupies space and has mass, so we're going to look at that as. Um, a bigger picture okay and so a smaller unit of matter is an atom we're kind of going down a ladder here so we have a big uh, big picture matter underneath that we're gonna have an atom and then atoms um, are used to build more complicated substances okay and in the body most chemicals are in the form of molecules and those are particles of matter that are composed of one or more atoms so we have matter we have atoms that are the smallest form of matter, and then we have atoms that make up molecules. Okay, um, so now we're going to go to atoms. Okay, they're small, but they can only be observed with very sophisticated equipment. Um, atoms are composed of several kinds of subatomic particles, protons, electrons, and neutrons. She's going to want us to know what these are, but sh again, she's not wanting us to know numbers. She's not worried about that. She's more focused on us knowing um, the terminology and a little bit farther into the chapter. So um, at the core of each atom is a nucleus, um, which is what you find in a cell, composed of positively charged protons and uncharged neutrons. The number of protons in the nucleus is the atom's atomic number, and the number of protons and neutrons combined is the atom's atomic mass. Um, okay, so let's bump down just a little bit. Um, electrons keep darting around within certain limits called orbitals, and orbitals are arranged into energy levels or shells. Um, I know energy levels is definitely going to be something um, that I have seen, and I think it was a MedCom or an ATI, um, and it's uh, um, in our objectives. It's in your summary. It's going to be in your stuff at the end. So, Again, as I said in the last podcast of chapter one, if you can answer the questions at the beginning, then you're going to know the summary of the at the end, um, which means you should be able to answer the review questions, critical thinking in the chapter. Two. So um, around this, uh, I'm sorry, around is called an orbital. And the orbitals are arranged into energy levels depending on their distance from the nucleus. The farther the orbital is from the nucleus, the higher the energy level is. Um, the closer it is to the orbital, um, the lower it's going to be. All right, so we're going to go on to page 22. 
Um, now we're in elements, molecules, and compounds. So substances can be classified as elements or compounds. Elements are pure substances of one or more type of 100 types of atoms that exist in nature. Um, four kinds of atoms make up about 96% of the human body, and those are going to be carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, hydrogen, um, and then there's other elements as well, but these are the basic ones. So you're going to need to remember those four, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. So those are elements. Those are single um, single elements. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Okay, now we're going to go down to compounds. Atoms usually unite with each other to make larger chemical units called molecules, um, which we learned on the first page. And so compounds are substances whose molecules have more than one element in them. So um, if you look at oxygen, it's single. Carbon is single. Hydrogen is single. Nitrogen is single. Um, but then you're going to go on and you're going to start adding things. You're going to make it compound. So we're going to kind of go back to English. You have like, you know, compound words. Um, and so that just means more than one. So to describe which atoms are present in a compound, a chemical formula is used. And a formula is um, a compound, uh, sorry, formula for a compound contains symbols that represent each element in the molecule. So a number of atoms in an element is in a a number of atoms of an, each element in the molecule is expressed as a subscript after the elemental symbol. So, for example, each molecule of the compound, carbon dioxide, has one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms. Therefore, its molecular formula is CO2. So, we're literally just adding something else to make it stronger, to make it better. Um, okay, so now we're going to go over to chemical bonding, and I would know table... 2-1. Um, maybe not memorize everything, but she does want you to know what these things look like, um, the trace elements in the body, um, important elements in the human body. So, all right, we're going down to chemical bonding. Um, chemical bond forms to make atom more stable. Um, so, an atom is said to be chemically stable when its outer energy level is full, um, but a handful of atoms have room for more electrons in their outermost energy level. Okay, so let's look at an example. A hydrogen atom has one electron and one proton. Its single energy shell has one electron but can hold two, so it's not full. If two hydrogen atoms share their single electrons with each other, then both will have full energy shells, making them more stable as a molecule than either would be as an atom. An example of how atoms bond to form molecules. Okay, so under chemical bonding, we have ionic bonds. One common way to um, which an atom makes their outermost energy level full is to form ionic bonds with other, item, uh, with other atoms. They form between an atom that has only one or two electrons in the outermost level um, that would normally hold eight, and then an atom, when it only needs one or two electrons, will, um, let's see, one or two electrons to fill its outer level. Um, the atom with one or two electrons simply donates its outer shell electrons to one that needs uh, one or two. Okay, so if we go back to table 2-1, it tells us, I'm going to go over, okay, um, 2-1, the sodium atom has one electron in its outer level and the chlorine has, ad um, chlorine atom has seven. Um, both need to have eight electrons to fill their outer shell. So if you go over to figure 2-3, um, this is going to give you an example of that. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to the bolded words. Um, 
Ionic compounds usually dissolve easily in water because water molecules are attracted to ions and wedge between ions, thus forcing them apart. So when this happens, this is called dissociation or they dissociate. Um, so you're basically just splitting something up. You're splitting something. Um, kind of like when you put um, oil and water together, they're not going to mix. They're just going to split. Okay, so compounds that form ions when dissolved in water are called electrolytes. And I know that we've heard this word when we're um, talking about uh, hydration, when we're talking about a pH balance, when we're talking about nasogastric tubes, things like that, um, you're going to hear the word electrolytes a lot. So the formula of an ion always shows it's charged by a plus or a negative superscript after a chemical symbol. Um, because the body's internal environment is mostly water, we can find many dissolved ions in the body. Specific ions have important roles to play in muscle contraction, nerve signaling, and other vital functions. Um, I would definitely know the important ions in human body fluids on table 2-2 at the bottom of 23. So I'm going to go over to page 24, and now we're going to be looking at covalent bonds. Again, she's not really wanting you to know about outer shells and how much is in them and things like that. She's wanting you to know the definitions of a lot of these um, and how they're put together, how they're split apart. Um, and what you're going to find in the body. So, got a sticky note. I'm going to move out of the way. Um, we have covalent bonds. When atoms share electrons, a covalent bond is formed. For example, um, figure 2-2 shows how two hydrogen atoms may move closely, together closely so that their energy levels overlap. Each energy level contributes its one electron to the sharing relationship. That way, both outer levels have access to both electrons. Um, Covalent bonds normally do not break apart in water, so ionic do break apart in water or dissociate very easily, and this is usually um, referred to as electrolytes, um, and covalent bonds do not normally break apart in water. So carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and hydrogen, the four most common found in the body, always, almost always share electrons to form a covalent bond, making this type of bond important in the human body. Okay. So now we're going to go over to hydrogen bonds. Um, kind of weak attraction that helps to hold your body's substance together is the hydrogen bonds. So slight electrical charges may develop in different regions of a molecule when tiny uh, hydrogen atoms are not able to equally share their electrons in a covalent bond. Um, hydrogen bonds do not form new molecules, but instead provide subtle forces to help a large molecule to stay in a particular shape. They also help to hold together neighboring molecules. Um, Hydrogen bonds also keep water molecules loosely joined together, giving water a weak glue-like quality that helps hold your body together. So water is very, very important, and we're going to go into that in the next page. Okay, so now we're going to be um, in a bigger part of uh, organic, organic chemistry. All compounds in living organisms can be classified as either organic or inorganic. Organic compounds are composed of molecules that contain carbon-carbon covalent bonds, carbon-hydrogen covalent bonds, or both. Few organic compounds have carbon atoms in them, and none have CC or CH bonds. Um, the human body has both kinds of compounds, which both are equally important to chemistry of life. But um, just know that organic is going to be CC or CH or both. Um, okay, so we're moving on to water. Although water is an organic compound, it is essential to life found in and around each cell, water is the most abundant compound in the body, and its slightly glue-like properties help to hold the tissues of the body together, which we learned about in hydrogen bonds um, on the previous page. So now we're at the top of page 25. Um, we're going on to solutions, and this can get kind of confusing because a lot of these words sound the same. They'll kind of start running together. 
Um, so water is the solvent in which other com compounds or solutes are dissolved. When water is the solvent for a mixture, a blend of two or more kinds of molecules, the mixture is called an aqueous solution. So I kind of want to think of it like um, making sweet tea. So your base is going to be your water. So your water would be your solvent. And then you could say your solute was going to be um, what's coming from the tea bag. So, um, the compounds that's going to be dissolved. So this whole entire mixture would be an aqueous solution. Um, aqueous solution containing common salt and other molecules form the internal sea of the body. Water molecules not only compose the basic internal environment of the body, but also participate in many important chemical reactions. Um, so I'm going to go down to water chemistry. We're kind of stuck on water at this moment. This is confusing because the way that this is worded, um, was very hard to break down when I first read it, but we're going to try and get through this. Dehydration synthesis is a common type of chemical reaction in the body. Any kind of synthesis reaction, um, the reactants combine to form a larger product. So in dehydration synthesis, reactants combine after only two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom are removed. So you can think dehydration, removing, you're not going to have water if you're dehydrated. You're not going to have the fluid you need if you're dehydrated, so they're removed from you. So think in dehydration synthesis, reactants combine after only two hydrogen atoms and an oxygen atom are removed. These removed H and O atoms combine to form H2O or water. So when I read that, I was looking at the combined part and I'm thinking, well, dehydration synthesis doesn't make sense if you're putting something together to combine it. That's because I wasn't reading it thoroughly. So I'm going to say it one more time. In dehydration synthesis, reactants combine only after two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom are removed. So something is taken away and then they're going to be put together. So it's dehydration synthesis um, is going to pull away to build something bigger. So these removed H and O atoms combine to form H2O or water. Um, this is a result of dehydration synthesis reaction and is a larger product molecule and a water molecule. So we know H2O is water. We're going to maybe think of the water boy when we think of that. And you can remember dehydration synthesis. Okay, um, just as dehydration of a cell is a loss of water from the cell and dehydration of the body is a loss of fluid from the entire internal environment, dehydration synthesis is a reaction to which water is lost from the reactants. Um, so taken away so we could build the H2O. So hydrolysis is another common reaction in the body that involves water. In this reaction, water or hydro disrupts the bonds in large molecules, breaking them down into smaller molecules. Lysis. Hydrolysis is virtually the reverse of dehydration synthesis. And this was in a MedCom or ATI, I believe, but I have seen it um, again. So not only is water in the medium in which all uh, major types of organic compounds are formed and broken down, it's also uh, product dehydration synthesis or reactant hydrolysis in these type of reactions. Um, so chemical reactions almost always involve energy transfers and energy is required to build the molecules. Some of that energy is stored in the potential energy in the chemical bonds and the stored energy can be released when a chemical bond um, in the molecules are later broken apart. So for example, a molecule called uh, adenosine triphosphate or ATP breaks apart in the muscle cells to yield the energy needed for muscle contraction. So your muscles aren't going to move unless you have the energy to do it. Um, so you're going to need ATP for that. So chemists often use a chemical equation to represent chemical reaction. And a chemical equation 
um, the reactants are separated from the products by an arrow showing the direction of the reaction. So you can look at these examples on page 25 um, um, for reference to that. So it's going to have to be something that um, you're going to remember on your own. Okay, so now we're going to go over to acids, bases, and salts. Um, this used to confuse me as well because you would think a higher number would be um, something more serious. And it's the opposite when you are looking at acids, bases, and salts. So besides water, many other inorganic compounds are important to the chemistry of life. Um, let's see. We're going to go down to acids. In pure water, the balance of H and OH is equal However, when acids such as um, HCl dissociate into H and Cl, it shifts its balance in favor of excess H plus ions. In the blood, carbon dioxide forms carbonic acid when it dissolves in water. Some of the carbonic acid then dissociates to form H plus ions and HCO3. Um, so she's not going to want us to look at all of that and remember that. She's going to want us to know um, what these are going to look like on this scale um, and she's going to want us to be able to know normals when you are looking at your patient to see if something's going on with them so if you're going to look at the page 26 at this little arrow down here the red and blue and you're going to see that um, the higher um, hydrogen I believe it's hydrogen let me come back and check yes higher um, hydrogen is going to be more acidic the lower hydrogen is going to be more basic so when you say on a scale from one to ten how's your pain ten being the worst you've ever felt this is not going to be that way this is going to be the opposite you're going to see the lower number and think that that is very acidic you're going to see a higher number and you're going to think that it's pretty basic okay so um you're going to see that stomach acid is 0 0.8 orange juice is a 2.8 um, and a lot of you, I know I'm not the only one, if you drink a lot of orange juice, if you drink a lot of soda, you're going to be uh, very prone to getting UTIs, and that is a lot of acid in your urine, because your body's having to process that stuff, and the more acidic, the more painful that's going to be. Um, so the next thing is uh, vaginal secretions. Uh, those are very, very acidic, um, but it's also meant to balance out um, semen. Fun fact, uh, black coffee is a 5.0. This is very acidic, which is why it stains your teeth if you drink a lot of it. Uh, urine is a 6.0. Like I said, that's very, um, very, very strong. Um, cytoplasm is at a 7.0. So that's like pretty much perfect. Like that's what it's going to be for homeostasis. That's what you want is for your body to be uh, level. Uh, blood is at a 7.4. So it's a little bit more towards basic. Um, semen is a 7.8. Okay, cool. We see vaginal secretions is a 4.1. So these, they couldn't both be acidic and they couldn't both be basic. They're going to have to balance each other out so that life can be formed. Um, pancreatic juice is at 8.0. Milk of magnesia is 10.5, which uh, for those of you that don't know, milk of magnesia is more basic because it was actually um, intended to settle an upset stomach that might have a lot of acid in it. So if you drink this, it's going to kind of coat the walls of your um, stomach um, and it's going to relieve some of the um, pain that you're feeling from the acid in your stomach. Um, so household ammonia is 11.9. This stuff's pretty dangerous. Uh, you're not supposed to be smelling a lot of that. And actually a lot of things are now becoming like ammonia free. Okay, so I'm going to bounce back over here to bases. So bases or alkaline components, on the other hand, shift the balance into the opposite direction. So I'm not going to read through that whole entire paragraph. Just know that acids are going to be stronger 
um, higher hydrogen and bases are going to be weaker, lower hydrogen. Okay, so the pH is relative H plus concentration and how to measure how acidic or basic a solution is. Um, so let's read this. The formula used to calculate pH units gives a value of 7 to pure water. Excuse me. A higher pH value indicates low relative concentration. And a lower pH value indicates a higher H plus concentration in acid. So I would definitely, definitely, definitely remember the norms for this. So you're going to remember that 7.0 is water. That's a normal, that's a, a neutral between acidic and base. So that's what you're wanting. Okay, so now we're going to bump over to salts. Um, when a strong acid and strong base mix, mix excess H plus may combine with the excess OH negative to form water. That is, they may neutralize each other, and the remaining ions usually form neutral ionic compounds called salts. And there's an example under there that you can look at because I'm not about to read that out. Um, homeostasis of pH. So the body pH of body fluids affects the body chemistry so greatly that normal body function can be maintained only within a narrow range of pH of about 7.35 to 7.45. So that's a teeny, teeny, tiny gap. There's only a small gap between cytoplasm and um, and blood. So you're going to want to know these normals. Definitely 7.35 to 7.45 is what should be maintained. So acidosis is going to be low blood pH and alkalosis is going to be high blood pH. Okay. Um, and again, you can refer back to the picture for that. So um, the body can remove excess H or hydrogen plus ions by excreting them in the urine. Another way to remove acid is by increasing the loss of CO2 in acid um, by the way of respiratory system. You do not have a respiratory system. Sorry, it was cutting out. Okay, so um, you when you're breathing, you're not going to want to be breathing in CO2 because that's very acidic and you can actually, um, you can die from that. It's very, very dangerous. So your body is going to push that out when you exhale um, and that is happening through your respiratory system. Um, when you urinate, um, that's how it also is going to release acid. Um, a third way to adjust the body's pH is by using buffers. This is definitely going to be on the test. Um, chemicals in the blood that maintain pH. Buffers maintain pH balance by preventing sudden changes in the H plus ion concentration. Um, they do this by forming a chemical system that neutralizes acids and bases as they are added to a solution. Um, so I would just read up on that, know that a little bit clearer. Um, we're on page 27 now, by the way. Um, you are definitely, definitely, definitely going to need to look at chapter 2-3, specifically highlighted carbohydrates, um, monosaccharide, disaccharide, polysaccharide. Um, these get a little bit confusing. There's a lot of rhyming in science. There's a lot of things that look the same, but they are very much different. And um, so we're going to hit on these the best that we can. we got a couple more pages to go, so bear with me. Um, so... The way that I broke this down was literally taking this table and writing it into different form and also into flashcards. Um, so under organic chemistry, we're going to look at the types of organic compounds. So organic compounds are much more complex than inorganic compounds. In this section, they're going to describe the basic structure and the function of each major type of orga organic compound found in the body. So there's carbohydrates, lipids or fats and oils. Proteins and nucleic acids, very, very, very much involved in the body. Um, and so now we're going to read about those. Um, all four of these major types of organic compounds are formed by dehydration synthesis reactions. Um, 
Conversely, their bonds can be broken by hydrolysis. So I want to back up for just a second and touch on that again. So we're going to remember that dehydration synthesis is um, when reactants combine after two hydrogen and one oxygen atom are removed. Then the H and O atoms combine to form H2O or water. So you're going to take something away to build something else. We'll call it remodeling, if you will. Hydrolysis is the reverse of dehydration synthesis. Um, so not only um, are we going to remember dehydration synthesis, we're going to remember hydrolysis, and they're the opposite of each other. So this is how these four major types of organic compounds are formed. Um, so we needed to know the other before we can go on to the next. So now we're going to carbo uh, carbohydrates. The name carbohydrate literally means carbon and a water. Um, H2O. So signifying the types of atoms that form uh, carbohydrate molecules. The basic unit of many carbohydrate molecules is called a monosaccharide, mono meaning one. Glucose or dextrose is an important monosaccharide in the body. Um, shells use it as their primary source of energy. So if you're writing, I would write this down. I would break it down into this chart the best way that you can memorize it because it's mostly memorization. Um, so a molecule made of two saccharide units is a double sugar or a disaccharide, di meaning two. The disaccharides, sucrose or table sugar, and lactose, milk sugar, are important dietary carbohydrates. After they're eaten, the body breaks them apart or digests them to form monosaccharides that can be used as cellular fuel, which we had said before, and I believe this was on page 25, that we have to have that energy to be able to do the things that we need to do inside of our body. Uh, many, mac uh, many saccharide units joined together form a polysaccharide. An example of polysaccharide are glycogen and starch. Um, starch is going to be in like your potatoes and stuff. So when you, uh, carbohydrates are usually, um, we want to say like a women's worst enemy, but it's our favorite thing because we really like pasta and we really like potatoes and anything that we're not supposed to be having, but we do because carbohydrates um, are going to give you that energy, but it's going to kind of stick around a lot longer. It's going to kind of be stored up a little bit. Um, so um, if you're not working that stuff off, if you're not making that energy come out, they're going to be sitting on them hips. Um, so many monosaccharides or many saccharides unit joined together form polysaccharides. And um, an example is glycogen and starch. Glycogen is the polysaccharide of glucose that the human body stores. Plants store glucose as starch. Um, each glycogen molecule is a chain of glucose molecules joined together. And when there's an excess glucose in the body, uh, in the blood, liver cells and muscle cells pull glucose out of the blood and store it as glycogen for later use. Uh, we can eat plants. We can break apart their starch molecules to get glucose. So, um, carbs have potential energy stored in their bonds. And when bonds are broken in cells, they release energy that can be, um, used to do work. So, um, Google carbohydrates, Google monosaccharide, disaccharide, polysaccharide, and get a little bit deeper into it if you're not understanding it. And don't forget that these um, evolve, um, the little E's that you see at the bottom of each of these, almost every paragraph, you can get on there and it's going to break it down a little bit um, deeper for you. So the next section we're going to look at is lipids. Um, they include a diverse group of molecules that do not usually dissolve in water because a lipid is going to be like a oil or a fat. So if you Go to the kitchen right now and get a cup of water and pour oil into it. It is not going to dissipate. It's going to stay separate. 
Um, so major types of lipids include triglycerides, phospholipids, and steroids. Um, so again, you're going to kind of want to look at the root words of these. You're going to kind of want to know what some of these things mean if you break them down. So tri is obviously not one, and it's obviously not two. Um, this is going to be three. So the most abundant lipids in the body are the triglycerides, the lipids that we commonly refer to as fats, which aren't necessarily a bad thing, so don't get upset. The following sections provide more details about three major groups of lipids. All right, so now we're looking at triglycerides. There are lipid molecules formed by glycerol unit or head joined to three fatty acid tails. So it has a picture of figure 2.9, and you can redraw that however you want to. Your little glycerol can have a face on it so you remember that it's a head, and you can draw some little cattails at the back of it, three of them to remember it's a triglyceride, and those are the fatty acids connected to the tails. Um, so saturate, okay, fatty acids components can be classified as saturated or unsaturated, and saturated fatty acids are going to be more solid at room temperature, which are going to be in your butter and your lard, I hope everybody knows what butter and lard is, unsaturated fatty acids tend to be liquids and are found in oils such as corn oil and olive oil. Um, hope everybody knows what those are. So like carbohydrates, the bonds in triglycerides can be broken to yield energy. Thus, triglycerides useful in storing energy cells for later use. Um, let's see. Triglycerides stored in fat tissue also provide helpful uh, padding around organs and under the skin to stabilize pro uh, and protect the body structure. So lipids being fats, this is saying it's going to add that extra little layer, that little padding. Um, if you will. Okay, so phospholipids, we're still on page 28 under the purple heading. Phospholipids are similar in structure to triglycerides, but instead of having three fatty acid chains attached to the glycerol or the head, they have two fatty acid chains and a phosphorus-containing unit um, called a phosphate attached to the glycerol. The phosphate at the base of the glycerol head attracts water, and the two fatty acid tails repel water. So uh, you can redraw this as well. You're going to draw the glycerol again as a little face, and then you're going to have a phosphate right behind it, and then you're only going to have two tails. Um, and so the head is going to attract water because um, we're thirsty. We want to drink. So we're going to put water into our face, into our head. We're going to drink water, and let's just say we have two tails. So that would make you a phospholipid. Um, okay, so now we're going to go over to 29, and now we're going to talk about steroids. Steroid molecules have a multiple ring structure, um, and this is shown over on, I'm trying to find, these pictures get a little bit confusing, 211 is right above it, okay, um, cholesterol has a steroid structure re represented, uh, and you can see that picture there. So cholesterol is an important steroid lipid, lipid meaning fat, that performs several critical functions of the body. Um, so, for example, it's embedded within the cell membrane to help stabi stabilize the bilayer structure. And then the body also uses cholesterol as a starting point in making steroid hormones such as estrogen, testosterone, and cortisone. So, a lot of people, when they hear the word um, cholesterol, they think really bad. But it is possible to have a high level and a low level of cholesterol. And it's not necessarily bad because you have to have this um, to make certain hormones such as estrogen, testosterone, and uh, cortisone or cortisol. I would know both of those words. Um, so now we're moving down to um, proteins. Um, proteins are very large molecules composed of basic units called amino acids. Um, in addition to containing carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, all amino acids contain nitrogen. I would write that down. 
Many different amino acids are linked together in a particular sequence to form all the proteins and cells, and the process that joins amino acids by peptide bonds in a precise order specific or specified by the genetic code is um, going to be discussed later on. So you're just going to need to know um, that proteins are very large molecules compu composed of basic units called amino acids. Um, and then uh, I would know what a peptide bond is. And again, you have a handy dandy glossary back here. I would definitely utilize that. Um, I do know that she went over the clinical application at the bottom of this, not necessarily that you have to know that, but I would read over that because if you know the why, then you know where you're going. Quoted from Miss McBride. Um, attractions between positively charged and negatively charged regions along the long amino acid change cause it to fold over itself and maintain its unique shape. Um, folded proteins may combine with other folded proteins to form even more or larger, more complicated shapes. Um, so there is a massive picture on page 29 that I would look over, and it literally looks like a folded um, sheet of paper. Um, you have primary is the first level, secondary is the second level, tertiary, or tertiary is the third level, and then quaternary is the fourth level. Okay, I'm going to go on to page 30. Um, Let's see. The complex folded shape of a protein molecule determines its role in body chemistry. So its different shape is going to determine what it does in your body. Structural proteins are shaped in ways that allow them to form essential structures of the body. Um, and collagen uh, is a protein with a fiber shape that holds most of the body tissues together. So collagen is very important to um, remember. And I believe also that collagen is what kind of keeps your skin taut. So when you get older, you kind of start losing that collagen and that elasticity. And that's why you start getting wrinkles, get a little flab. Um, it's because you're losing um, collagen. So keratin is another structural protein um, and it forms a network of waterproof fibers on the outer layer of the skin. She did touch on this today. We are going to need to know that. Um, and that's about all that it says about keratin, but I would definitely read that and maybe do some more Google, doctor Googling if you need to read some more about that. Um, functional proteins have shapes that enable them to participate in chemical process of the body, and they include some of the hormones, growth factors, cell membrane channels, and receptors, and enzymes. Um, so enzymes are chemical catalysts, and I'm trying to find a way to explain this as easily as I can. Um, this means that they help a chemical reaction to um, occur, but are not reactants or, produ or products themselves. Um, they participate in chemical reactions, but are not changed by the reactions. They are vital to, vital, uh, to body chemistry, and no reaction in the body occurs fast enough unless these enzymes need are needed for that um, reaction are present. So we could say that enzymes are going to speed something up. So um, I'm actually going to flip over to the glossary real quick, and I'm going to look at enzymes because I want to get a better understanding so that I can explain it better to you. Um, let's see. Mm. Okay, enzyme. A functional protein acting as a biochemical catalyst allowing chemical reactions to take place in a suitable time frame. So we're worried about time. So now I'm going to go over to catalyst and get a better um, example of that.
catalyst is a chemical that speeds up reactions without being changed itself. So basically, this enzyme that's a, or a chemical catalyst, uh, we're going to say is the gas for this thing. It's going to really speed it up and it's going to get it to where it's going. And it's telling us that if we don't have these um, enzymes or these chemical catalysts, that our body would not perform things in the time that they would need to be done. So there will be a lag. Um, so now we're going to go down to um, a little bit farther. And it says each enzyme has a shape that fits the specific substrate molecules it works on, much as a key fits specific locks. The explanation of enzyme action is sometimes called the lock and key model. And you can see that in figure 2-13 at the top of page 30, um, kind of like puzzle pieces or, like I said, a lock and key. So each um, enzyme is going to fit perfectly. Um, where it's headed. So uh, proteins can bond with other organic compounds and form mixed molecules. For example, glycoproteins embedded in cell membranes and uh, proteoglycans between cells are proteins with uh, sugars attached. Lipoproteins are, li are lipid protein combinations. Um, so be aware of that. Okay, so now we're going to move on to nucleic acids. Um, the two forms of nucleic acids are deoxyribonucleic acid and ribonucleic acid. And I know that we've heard of this in our science classes in high school. Um, this is DNA and RNA. As outlined in Chapter 3, the basic building blocks of nucleic acids are called nucleotides. So each nucleotide consists of a phosphate unit, a sugar or ribose or um, deoxyribose and a nitrogen base. DNA nucleotide bases include adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. RNA uses the same set of bases except for the substitution of uracil for thymine. And this is in a teeny tiny box um, at the top of page 30 and it's table 2.4. I would know that chart. Um, they're almost identical except for there's one difference. Um, DNA is going to use thymine and RNA is going to use uracil. Um, so I would definitely look into that. Nucleotides bind to one another to form strands or other structures. Um, and in the DNA molecule, nucleotides are arranged in a twisted double strand called a double helix, um, which we have seen probably numerous times throughout our life. But this is what holds us, essentially. The sequence of different nucleotides along the DNA double helix is the master code for assembling proteins and other nucleic acids. So messenger RNA or mRNA molecules have a sequence that form a temporary working copy of a portion of the DNA code called a gene. The code in nucleic acids ultimately directs the entire symphony of living chemistry. That is you. Okay, a modified nucleotide called adenosine triphosphate or ATP, which we read about earlier, plays an important energy transfer role in the body. Um, Let's see, the extra phosphates that are attached to the molecule with unstable high energy bond that requires a great amount of energy um, from nutrients to form. Therefore, they release a large amount of energy when broken. When a uh, phosphate breaks off of ATP, form, um, forming adenosine diphosphate, or ADP, the energy released is used to do work in cells. So ATP acts sort of like an energy transfer or a battery. Um, it picks up energy from nutrients and then quickly makes it into energy that's available. Um, so I would look down at figure 2-14 for DNA, just so you can kind of get an idea of the helix that they're talking about. Um, and I would also refer back and look at the um, charts on 2-9 and 2-10. 
Okay, so now I'm going to go over to chemistry of um, in the human body, and this is going to be the last um, paragraph for this chapter. So chemistry in the human body um, is uh, our, sorry, I'm getting a little bit lost. Um, they must be maintained um, for a healthy balance. So this is saying continue to watch for the important roles played by water, oxygen, carbon dioxide, ions, pH, carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids as you progress um, through your course. Um, here's another E at the end. I would definitely look into that. And fun fact, I want to throw this out there on the science applications biochemistry at the bottom of page 31. This woman basically invented this, y'all, and the men got to take the credit because she died first. It's an interesting read. Sad day, though. Um, once again, I encourage you to do um, the objectives at the front. You've already done them. The objectives match up with the summary at the end. So if you knew the answers to the objectives, then you know the summary of the chapter. Um, also, go through and do the review questions, critical thinking, and the chapter test. And I will be posting the next chapter very soon. Thanks.